And it's the Jim Meskimen Podcast, returning after a pretty long hiatus. Thanks for hanging in. If you've been holding your breath, I appreciate it. And uh, here I am, anyway. I'm still alive. Things are going well. It's been a very busy year already. And uh, we zipped right through January, February, and March uh, without taking a breath. And now we're into April, post-April Fool's Day. So here I am, and uh, there you are, and you've been uh, you've been doing your thing, and I've been doing mine separately. It's funny to think about all the things that are going on in the world at the exact same time. I don't have too much to say, not too much to report. I've been doing a lot of commercials, uh, you know, which is a great way to sort of build back the finances and make some stability for the new year. I can't talk about them too much. That's the way it is these days. Um, but I am continuing my campaign with the uh, California bear. If you're in California, you may have seen these commercials where I do the voice of the California bear. And it's actually on camera. There's a guy in a fantastically animatronic uh, bear suit. Uh, it looks just like a real bear. It's marvelous. It takes uh, three other gentlemen on, on joysticks just off, off stage to operate the ears and eyes and, and the gross head movements. And then there's a a lucky or unlucky individual inside the the bear fur suit who is articulating the body and moving around and uh and and trying not to fall over it's 70 pounds worth of equipment anyway i have a great time working with those guys i do the voice live on the set almost cuz we're kind of like puppeteering it and it's good to be in uh in general contact with the whole crew as we're doing it and uh anyway so I, i'm doing that again and i did another series of commercials for that, and that's all about conserving water and energy during this uh, crisis that we're in in California. So I'm happy about that. And I'll be uh, speaking to you alone as usual today, just uh, to make my comments. I don't have anybody coming into the studio. It's a small studio, so that's okay with me. Uh, it's not like the very brilliant uh, uh, podcast, if I may plug another podcast of my friends uh, Jenna and Bodie Elfman, who have a podcast called Kicking and Screaming. They've been married for some years now, I think probably going on, must be going on 20 years now, and they have the most wonderful open communication line to one another of, of any couple I've ever seen that's still married. And they, uh, boy, they just, they, they talk a blue streak about what, what really matters to them. And uh, they, I, I love to watch them banter back and forth, uh, saying things that would get me kicked right out of the house forever. Uh, so it's, it's fun. It's a great release. <laughs> They're brilliant. So Kicking and Screaming, great podcast. I recommend it highly. Much more informative than mine uh, in some ways. Uh, they talk very little about my life, though, which is where this one has a definite edge. Of course, it's the political uh, season. The dreaded political season still lumbers on in a way that nobody could have predicted or expected, which is always the case. Uh, I haven't done a lot of Donald Trump stuff uh, as an impressionist. I did one video, which is on my YouTube channel, Donald Trump talking to George W. Bush. Uh, that uh, sounds a bit like this. You got, if you got a minute, if you got 30 seconds, honestly, I don't want to, I don't want to take no, the time. No, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, cleaning my brushes. You, you what? Because I'm, I'm cleaning my brushes, my, my art brushes. Oh, no, I read that online that you're doing portraits, you're doing uh, paintings. I think, it's, I think it's terrific. It's marvelous. You know what? That's exactly what, that's what Winston Churchill did towards the end of his life. He was always, he, was, he called himself a Sunday painter. I'm, I do just about every day of the week now. Sunday is practically the day I take off. <laughs> well, in any case, it's great. I, I think it's terrific, and uh, 
Uh, I think I saw one or two of your pieces. I think they're coming along beautifully. I want to tell you what, on that note, I want to, I want to extend to you when I'm elected. Pre- I'm not going to say if, okay? I'm not going to say if, you know, I could to sound nice, but the fact is I'm going to be elected president. And when I am, you know, there's always an official portrait that's done for the president of the United States for the White House. I'm sure you had one done. Maybe you had one done twice. Did you have one done twice? Uh, boy. Uh... You know, I don't remember. doesn't matter. Listen, here's what I'll do. When I'm elected, I'm going to call you in. I'm going to commission you, and it'll be, and you'll do a portrait of me. You'll do whatever style. I don't care. doesn't make any difference. It'll be by you. It'll be the first time in history, George. I mean, imagine it. First time in history when a seated president is, has a portrait in the White House by an unseated president, you know, the former president. That'll be historic. That'll be huge, W. You don't mind if I call you W. No, no, I don't mind at all. I also did Bernie Sanders for the first time for the Kimmel Show. I don't know if it's aired yet, but uh, uh, that was uh, an unexpected surprise. I, I, I think there are people that do Bernie Sanders' voice as well as or better than, than I, but uh, I got, for, what, for whatever reason, I got the thumbs up this time, so I'm happy, to, happy for the work. Um, I'm not actively you know, working too much on it uh, because I, I find the whole political realm to be so loathsome. It seems like every four years... And, uh, you know, I, I know this is not, an, not a popular view or maybe not even a helpful view, but my viewpoint is that they offer us, you know, dog do and, and donkey do, you know, or, or elephant crap and, and mule crap every four years and you get to decide, well, which kind of crap do I want? And uh, they're both equally unnutritious and uh, unsavory. For, for different reasons, you know. And, and so, you know, we hold our noses and we, we, we vote. And, and I, I know we get excited about one or another of the candidates and we imbue them with all kinds of virtues that they either have or don't have. But wouldn't it be nice if Hillary Clinton was as nice as she seems? Wouldn't it be nice if Donald Trump was as uh, forthright uh, as he seems? And uh, wouldn't it be nice if Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz... Uh, blah, 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 fill in the gap, you know, wouldn't it be nice? And so we sort of imbue them. If we're favorable towards them, we sort of say, well, yeah, I'm going to assume uh, that they are like me in this respect, or they have this sensitivity that I have. And, uh, well, sometimes we're right, sometimes we're really, really wrong. Anyway, my, my guy never seems to win, so I, I, I never get too attached to these uh, political candidates. I will hold my nose and vote at some point, and I'll be damned if I'll tell anybody how I'm going to vote. Uh, it just is not, it's, it's no, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just not comfortable with it. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with, with stumping for anybody because I just have been burned too many times. And I think that if you, if you run for president, you're already, you're already somehow in the grip of something, uh, more, you know, vast and horrific than you even suspect. I, 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 it may be said of any, anyone who's trying to do anything intentionally, in this world on a grand scale is that you're going to perhaps create some good effects and you're absolutely going to create some some effects that you didn't expect that you're going to really regret. Um, boy, that's a now that I vocalize that, if you don't mind me backpedaling a little bit, uh, hearing it now in front of my, my own face like that, it sounds fatalistic and this, I think there's something wrong with it, with that point of view. I haven't nailed it yet. Maybe you can inform me. I'm sure you would like to. So please uh, comment and tell me what's wrong with my viewpoint um, and tell me why I should vote for X, Y, or Z. 
In any case, on to uh, more safe ground. I, you know, since the Oscars, which were in February, I think it seems like it was just yesterday. Uh, the Oscars, I, I thought, were kind of horrible to watch. I, they were fumfering around and trying to uh, address this issue of uh, no black actors or actresses nominated and um, the injustice of that. And I do agree that that was, uh, you know, a serious omission and, and very, very odd. But I do not agree that the way that they handled it in the broadcast was at all effective. I thought it was awkward. It just kept kept being addressed. I know what the job of an MC is in a gathering when something untoward happens or when there's an awkwardness or something that needs to be addressed. And, you know, it shouldn't uh, take the place. The handling shouldn't take the place of the event. And I think in some ways the solutions for this injustice and uh, the need for commentary supplanted, in some ways, the uh, the whole broadcast. And maybe maybe that was intentional, too. But I, I, I don't think that was really right. Uh, I don't think you handle things quite that way. I think you, you address it in the beginning. You say something or you do something. You do a sketch. You sing a song. You make a comment. And then get off it, man. Get the hell off it and don't mention it anymore because you've handled it. But if you keep coming back every 10 or 15 minutes and a new person has their handling and everybody has their way of saying something about it, it becomes, I don't know, a dog's breakfast. I think it was very uncomfortable and created, I think, even more discord (laughs) at the end of the day. Also, the best picture, you know, the best picture now is always a a little bit hard to take because they're 10. What's the best of these 10? I, I don't know. And Spotlight, uh, I'm sorry, I just didn't think it was that great a movie. It is an important subject, absolutely, and a a grievous, grievous crime uh, to molest young people and to cover it up and all that. Absolutely, no question about it. But I don't know. I've seen a lot of movies. I've been involved in movie making. I did not think it was a great movie as as a piece of art. And maybe that isn't important anymore. But, you know, it's a perfect example of tell, don't show, which is anathema to movie making. You know, you're supposed to show things and and let the audience make up their minds about it. I guess there was the argument that, well, what are we going to do, show a lot of kids being molested? Well, that would be pretty awful. Also, it's illegal. So you you couldn't do that. But, But another film, The Big Short, took a hold of something that essentially can't really be shown either because of complexity, not so much of of uh, purience and uh, they they made a much more entertaining movie i think visually it told the story a little bit better um but last night tamara and i watched another film that was nominated for best picture in 2015 and uh liked it very much and thought it also was better than spotlight by far and that was uh, steven spielberg's bridge of spies which i didn't actually expect a lot from and that's why it's taken me until april to watch it i didn't go to the movies we rented it and uh, I thought it was an exceptional movie. Um, I thought it was really well told, a well told tale, wonderful little scenes, enjoyable as a work of art, enjoyable as a, a kind of a commentary, social commentary, and a lesson or whatever. And uh, I, I really liked the individual performances very much. I liked the casting very much. Uh, and, and I really got the illusion Spielberg is, you know, you say what you want to say about Steven Spielberg. He really knows how to make a movie and to create an environment and a time and a place and a feel. You know, part of it is he, he can assemble the best team in the world. Janusz Kaminski, the cinematographer, um, the music, all the scenic design. I don't know the names of these people, but 
my goodness, it was just uh, ex- exceptionally well done so that every minute you really feel like you're in 1960 Berlin, East Berlin, West Berlin, or 1960 Washington, uh, D.C. So I, I thought it was really exceptional. And the, the people, the costumes, wow. And that's a lot of work. I, I know from you know the small involvement I've had in motion pictures, it's a hell of a lot of work. And they brought it off very well. I was surprised to see in the credits of the screenplay that the Coen brothers uh, had a pass at it. Maybe they wrote quite a bit of it. I don't know. I'd like to read the source material on on Bridge of Spies to see where the story came from and how much of it is based on fact. There's several points where my wife and I kind of snickered and went, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, like when uh, Gary Powers' U-2 plane is is shot out of the sky and he struggles as he's tethered to it. Uh, he struggles to reach the self-destruct button like that was a scene out of Thor. Uh, so I didn't really buy that. But um Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you really could do it. It seems to me the G-forces would be a little extreme at that point to be able to bend your elbow and pull yourself up to a, a spinning, flaming cockpit uh, at four or eight Gs. Um, anyway, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. I, I really am allergic to, uh, believe me, anything that could, you know, even hints at motion sickness. I'm, you know, I'm on the carpet. But anyway, check it out. It's a it's a wonderful film, and as a film, as a movie, uh, old fashioned though it may be in its storytelling technique, uh, it's a solid technique, uh, solid acting, very interesting story, a meaningful story um, that you can learn from, and that actually does impact the world, impacts mankind, every bit as much as Spotlight did or The Big Short. Um, so there you go. I mean, I've seen several films that I thought were were much better candidates for Best Picture. But again, you know, well, The Revenant, for example, a wonderful piece of art, a wonderful piece of art. Uh, it's about revenge, so the, maybe the lesson is not so great. But sometimes I think these breakthrough movies have to be kind of acknowledged because from movies like The Revenant and Gravity, uh, which did win, I believe, uh, many, it, you know, movie making is going to continue on and and use those lessons and use those the technologies and the aesthetic that was achieved at sort of a high watermark, uh, and and movies are not going to be the same after that. Just like movies weren't the same after, you know, Forrest Gump or or other significant films that that sort of changed the way we we realize we can express ourselves. You know, like a great piece of music, a symphony. Sometimes we'll just change music forever, or a great pop song. So I don't know. I'm old fashioned. I guess I think that uh, the best picture should reflect that in a way it used to. Sometimes it does. But, you know, it's a commercial enterprise. I realize the Oscars are completely based on on money and uh, corporate branding and who knows what else. So it's it's really never, ever going to be something fair. And it shouldn't be, I guess, because somebody has to pay for it anyway. I just hope that when they give me my Oscar, it's for something that, you know, I really feel I deserved and not just to try to make me feel good because that's really awkward. Anyway, check out Bridge of Spies. I think you'll like it a lot. It's uh, it's extraordinary. And, you know, Mark Rylance, who won for Best Supporting Actor, boy, you know, that's a that's a performance where a lot of people probably went, what's the big deal? What are we talking about here? Why? Best Supporting Actor? Really? But um, speaking as an actor and with a a little bit of experience. Um, Mark Rylance did something very quiet and very, very specific, very gentle, very delicate, and pretty damn difficult. So I, I could see it. I can see why that deserves an award. 
because it was very uniquely sensitive, I think, and, uh, and not very American, not very American at all, which uh, the role called for, for sure. So once again, the Brits, and here I am on my soapbox again, uh, the Brits are kicking our ass. I'm sorry. Outside of a few uh, exceptions, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, sure, uh, Brian Cranston, Peter Dinklage, America. You have to remind yourself that Peter Dinklage is, by the way, from New Jersey. He's an American. Outside of, uh, I don't know, there's probably others that I'm, well, I know there are others that I'm omitting, other great American actors. But in the main, these British actors, oh my gosh, they are so good at it. And uh, I guess it's the theater. I, it has to be. What's different here? American actors don't necessarily have to go up and work their way up through the theater. Maybe British actors don't either, but they have a tradition of it. And uh, they certainly respect their theater. And uh, I don't know. They're not all about the money and getting the next uh, California Energy Bear commercial. They're, they're really dedicated. And they turn in a performance that is a 360-degree performance because... That's what theater demands. You know, you can't have your below the knee uh, doing just whatever or on idle. You can't have uh, the back of your head not contributing to your performance. Does that make sense? And that just doesn't mean just theater in the round, but you've got to be totally immersed in it and uh, or, or you're not going to be uh, you're not going to be hired. So I think the British again, hats off, hats off to the British and thanks. Thanks to the British for uh, keeping up the standards. If the British are listening, or if you know the British, would you please pass that on? By the way, I wanted to say thank you. Uh, and perhaps that's really all I have to say today is, is thank you. Thank you, the listener. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for giving me your attention. You know, uh, as you've noticed, this is a culture and a world where the getting of attention is just uh, gone willy-nilly. Uh, there's myriad ways to uh, express oneself now. And there, and it's so easy to do that I think a lot of us find ourselves expressing any little thing, any little thought or any little whimsy, as well as the important things, as well as the earth-shaking things. And it all gets kind of mixed together in a big stew and uh, can be quite deafening sometimes. Deafening stew is, in fact, the name of my next book of poems. But I want to thank you for lending me some of your attention. Attention is very precious. I think we're in the ma the age of... <laughs> it's no longer the computer age anymore. Now we're in the age of... Uh, maybe it's the age of attention. Uh, I used to think it was the age of memory, but uh, I forget why. But the age of attention. We're putting attention on various little things. We're able to communicate things that we experience. And I want to thank you. For listening, I want to thank you for leading a, an exemplary life, for trying to, to try to do well and try to do good and try to help other people, of being as only as valuable as you can help others, as L. Ron Hubbard said. And I believe that's true. You know, I, I, I definitely try to help people with my art and with my expressions. And I know that you're trying to help people. You may not even think about it that way. But if you look at all the little things you did in a day, it's generally you're trying to, even if you're working at your job, you're trying to do a good job, keep the company going, trying to feed your family, trying to you know, take care of yourself, your body, trying to take care of your things and your environment. So thank you. I don't know if anyone's thanked you lately. I don't know if it'll even really impact with gratitude and gravitas. But uh, thank you for, uh, for keeping it there. And thank you for not working today to build some kind of bomb and strap it to your body and walk out into a mall. Thank you for that. And uh, you needn't. You needn't do that. that that's been an old battle. 
uh, the whole force counter force. I will destroy you because that's the right thing to do. I think I think we've pretty much established that that's a dead end in a lot of ways. So thank you for not being a brutal, unthinking criminal in that way. And if you if you did have kind of sentiments moving in that direction, thank you for putting them aside for a while, at least to listen to these words. And uh, boy, you know, we, we chuckle, but it's uh, these are the kind of things we used to make jokes about. And now, I, I don't know, I think about it now. When I go to malls, when I go to crowded places, you have to. You think about, wow, this looks a lot like something I just saw on CNN in another part of the world. The only difference is, you know, I'm in it, which makes it sometimes kind of uncomfortable. So the answer is, I think, is help. We help one another. We try to be nice to one another. We try to love one another. That's an old message and, uh, and one that bears repeating. Well, what does love one another mean? To me, it means respect and allowing that somebody might have a point of view that's worth expressing or worth listening to. Uh, it's also maybe talking to somebody and straightening them out if they're uh, a bit off the beam, you know, or if they continue to mess up. That's love, too. Uh, as a parent, I know we loved and love our daughter, and sometimes that meant, all right, well, hold on, you know, before you, before you have that bread and jelly <laughs> before bed, let's, let's talk about this, you know, let's work this out. Um, so there's lots of ways to love one another. Uh, I create art that I hope will make a person f- feel a certain way. Uh, I don't even... I don't even know what it is I'm trying to provoke, but I know it's not loathing or disgust or discomfort. I'm trying to, with my impressions, my videos, my live show, with my artwork, with my paintings, with the writings that I do, the poetry, whatever, uh, I try to make people feel a little more relaxed, a little more spacious, you know, which, you know, the opposite of being hemmed in or troubled. And I'm sure you're trying to do that too with your art form. If you're an artist, if you're a musician, you're trying to ease. Uh, you know, the, the troubled day on other people, the listener. You're not, ju- you're not just trying to fill up your guitar case with coins down there at the mall. You're trying to, you know, make a beautiful environment because you think it's right, because you sense that there's something lacking. And you're right. There's, there's a lot lacking. And you get right down to it. There's tremendous things lacking in the world today. So we artists and we helpful people, we people that... Uh, are making a go of it in this impossible universe. And let's, you know, let's call it as it is. It's it's an impossible kind of universe. I mean, we're spinning around uh, in this on this small planet, the nearest uh, habitable planet. I don't know. The last time I heard about it, it was pretty pretty bloody far away, certainly longer than a human lifespan. And we're trying to make a go of it, even though people of all races and all kinds of opinions are here. I don't have to lay it out for you. You see it every day yourself. But... The point is, it's an impossible universe. It's an impossible circumstance we're under. We're under unbelievable pressures. And, and yet, the arts, communication, love, all these things add up, and uh, as we use them, they make a little space, they make times a little easier for us, and we feel just a little bit more relaxed, and we can go about our business and help ourselves and help our families. Well, that's a good summation, isn't it? That's all I can manage today. I, I thank you for listening. As I said again, I've spent most of the time thanking you. I want to thank Jeff Levin also for providing the music. Also, check out my new video, A Plea for Peace, which is on my YouTube channel. 
Uh, it features 20 celebrity voices reciting a, a poem in iambic pentameter that I, that I wrote uh, just in between times, now trying to express various uh, small and pithy points. And for future small and pithy points, please come back. Come back to the podcast. Next time I'll try to, uh, I don't know, try to insert something even more entertaining. This wasn't really entertaining, I don't think, overtly, but maybe it made you feel a little bit better. Hope so. Leave a comment if you have any kind of disagreement or uh, you want to add on to what I had to say. Feel free. I don't get a lot of comments. It would be nice to read one. And you have yourself a terrific week ahead. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.